Welcome to DBAX Podcast. The future technology and stuff. This is the official podcast of the Arizona Diamondbacks. Sports, 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 sports. From the field to the front office, the ballpark to the broadcast booth, it's time to talk DBAX baseball. I just think about baseball. Here are Greg Schulte. And he rockets one to deep right center. That is long gone. And Steve Berthium. In the gap at the track at the wall, and he's got it, A.J. Pollock, wow! Play ball! From Salt River Fields at Talking Stick, we're in Scottsdale, Arizona, for D-Backs Podcast, the official podcast of the Arizona Diamondbacks. Welcome to our 36th D-Backs Podcast. It is Season 2, Episode 11, and I'm Steve Berthium. We did not have a show last week. No, you're not going crazy. And our apologies to our loyal listeners. Spring training has been at the point at which we see a lot of split squad games or early morning B games on the backfields. And so for much of the last uh, week, half the Diamondbacks were in one place. The other half was in another place. Coaches and players spread out all over the valley in different spots at different times. So uh, scheduling issues created by that were a little too much to overcome for us. So after a one-week hiatus, we are back in business for this episode 36 as we tape on Wednesday, March 16th from the radio booth here at Salt River Fields overlooking this uh, beautiful vista that is Diamondback Spring Training Baseball. Uh, Actually, the truth is I needed a week to recover emotionally uh, from the Downton Abbey series finale. How are you holding up? Not well. It was on Sunday last. I know we were all happy to see Lady Edith finally make it to the altar. That was big. Oh, I was, that was, that was really impressive. I mean, because that was huge. in truth, it was sort of like watching a glue factory horse on which you bet a sawbuck, whatever that is, uh, come down the stretch with a lead at Suffolk Downs. Bless her heart, Lady Edith, she made it. And the show ended with a happy bunch of crawlies. Uh, happy to introduce our Earl of Grantham. He is the Lord Commander of the Night's Watch, the Governor Greg Schulte. So now that the show is done, do I get a new nickname? No, you are the Earl of Grantham is a great nickname for you. You got to admit that. I like the governor better. <laughs> All right, well, but now as we now put Downton Abbey in the rearview mirror and look ahead to Game of Thrones, that's when you downshift into Lord Commander of the Night's Watch. How long did you think it was Downtown Abbey before it was actually Downtown? About Abbey? two and a half years. Yeah, I, <laughs> it's not. It's, it's not. Downton. It's Downton. There's no W. There's no. Uh, oh, really? There is a W, but there's no two. I will miss Downton Abbey. I love that show. They did a wonderful job. So it, it was a good run. Adios, hasta la vista. See you later. And now it's on to uh, Castle Black coming in April, I I believe. Oh, boy. Game of Thrones. Also on the program, speaking of Game of Thrones, it's uh, the mother of dragons, the Kingslayer, our engineer, producer, man about town, Leo, bad news, Gilmartin. Speaking of things that we have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) I wish you guys would get on board. It's obviously too late. I've seen some of Game of Thrones. It's too late for Downton Abbey. The the show is over for forever now. But uh, Game of Thrones, you still have time to get on board. Either you guys watch Vikings? No. I, think I watched on one of those where Channel. they stormed the gates of Paris. That was actually yeah, that's, pretty good. that's pretty far into it. Yeah. Mm. I happened to come across one of those uh, on the cable the other day. I bet. Day. Well, here we are, boys. Uh, it's a beautiful day. We have a night game, our first night game tonight against the Cincinnati Reds, which is a TV game, so I'll be working. Uh, we'll be doing a webcast here. Yeah, as a matter of fact. <laughs> oh, okay. That, well, I'll be working. Took, I thought the reason you needed the time off for the week because you've been working so hard this spring doing a few TV games. It's nice. Too. We're doing 10 games. It's been great. <laughs> We're doing two or three a week at this point. That's good for you. Yeah. So You know, it makes sense. So, I mean, you know, if you're going to be here, we like to, you know, we like to broadcast the games, so you might yeah, as well be doing I'm it. I'm right? excited. Yeah. 
The only actual news item that we really have to pass along here, camp has been going, I think, exceptionally well. Uh, the Diamondbacks are leading the uh, Cactus League in hits They're and like runs. They're like 11-3, and three too. They, you know, it's, oh, you can't lose. Yeah. That, which is, we can talk about that. <laughs> yeah, the pitching's been going good. So the only real news item, and you've likely already heard this, but just to make sure, uh, Chip Hale recently named the order for his top four starting pitchers. It'll be Zach Greinke, Shelby Miller, Patrick Corbin in the first three games against the Rockies, then Ruby De La Rosa gets the opener of that four-game series against the Cubs after that TBA. Although Might as well be Robbie Ray. It looks like right Robbie now. Ray, with the way he's pitched this spring, uh, may be the lead horse in that race. He's talking with confidence, spot. too, which I don't mind. Let me tell you this. Robbie Ray, I've seen him pitch every game. He is getting a lot of swings and misses with his changeup and his slider, particularly the changeup. And if it plays out that way over the course of the year, that is a complete and total game changer for him. Well, he's getting early outs, which he could not do last year. He'd get ahead 0-2, he'd run it to 3-2, right. four or five foul balls, it's a 15-pitch at bat. I talked to Mike Butcher about that. He said a couple of times, too many, where it went from 1-2 to 3-2 in the count. Uh, that's the only thing they haven't liked, and it's not happened a lot, just a couple of times. But, boy, he looks like he's made tremendous progress, Cub. I think Mike Butcher's made a big impact on uh, the entire pitching staff early on. It's just little subtle things, recommendations, you know, not you need to do this, you need to do that. How about if we do this, let's see if we can get the results. And I think a pitcher or a hitter, if it's a hitting coach, really appreciate, appreciates that. You're not coming saying, we need to change this, we need to change that. It's, you know, let's let's experiment with this. He did it with Daniel Hudson. And, you know, Huddy's had great success in his last two outings. He's changed the way Huddy lifts yep. his front leg. It's a much quicker, quicker. front leg kick because quicker Huddy would plate. get a little wobbly at the top because he had a long, deliberate motion. Easy to steal on. He's worked with uh, Shelby Miller in trying mm -hmm. to get Shelby Miller to throw his curveball a little bit more. So we've seen that in spring training. So you're right. It is little fine tunings with each guy. Ruby De La Rosa out here Saturday against the That's Royals good. looked tremendous. Really good. Retired 10 straight at one point. And it was Moustakis, Hosmer, Morales, a bunch of good lefties in there. And that's Ruby's thing. He's got to improve against left-hand batters. He looked really good here in. Saturday. Yeah, he's running in. Keeps it down and into the lefties. That's a game changer for him. So If he can handle left-handers, if he can improve 50% over what he did last year, he'll be bigger and better this year. I love him as a number four starter. He's yeah, a, if he's four and Robbie Ray's five, I think a lot of teams would take that. Oh, yeah. Because you and, know one, two, and three are pretty and good. And that's what people nationally, I think, overlook mm -hmm. about the Diamondbacks. You get so caught up in, okay, you've got Granke and Miller yeah. and Corbin at four the top. Four and five are pretty good with some other options if that doesn't pan out. And Archie Bradley has pitched well yeah. this spring. Uh, Zach Godley is starting, I think, Friday here against the Dodgers, Friday afternoon. He's kind of been okay. Yeah, a little, a little hit and miss. Mm -hmm. Um Braden Shipley was upsetting to read about the fraying of the UCL ligament last year in Braden yeah. Shipley's elbow, so he's barely pitched. But more so, Chip said, not because they're trying to be careful with the injury. He's fine. It's just they just haven't been the innings. Yeah. Um, and he was not. We're there. halfway through camp. So, you know, you have to start extending these guys. I know um, Delgado's pitched a couple innings. Huddy, I think, went two in the ball game on Monday. You know, so you're yeah. extending your relievers a little bit more, too. And then as week three turns into week four, with week five being the final week, when you're really, you know, really getting down to it, uh, becomes even a little bit more intense. But we're seeing guys playing late in games too, you know, fielders. So it's uh, it's getting a little bit more fun for us. We don't have nine changes defensively oh as Joe Madden did to us the other day. They have had two, uh, I don't want to call them cuts, but twice now they've moved players to minor league camps. So they've thinned the herd a bit. And they've cut some pretty good guys, some guys who had good springs going, but that shows you they've got the depth. 
Right, and we'll get into that right now, in fact. But you're right now, guys are starting to get three and four at-bats yeah. in the games instead of one or two. I like that. The, the only off day we have in camp was yesterday, Tuesday. And so I think that's really sort of a turning point in camp because from this point on, you've had the off day. From this point on, those position battles really start yeah. to get serious. And we're talking second base, shortstop, third base, left field, fourth outfielder, backup catcher, fifth starter, 11th and 12th spots in the bullpen. And I know both of you remember when we had Brandon Drury on. One of the things I asked him, I said, are you constantly strictly on second base, third base? And he said, yeah, which was the truth. But now they're thinking at him, maybe even a little bit of a left field option. I, yeah, I read that as because the the idea is you've got to find him, a place for the bat. Get him on the spot, exactly. You've got to find a place for the bat. Um, I don't love that idea myself. We'll see, though. But if it gets him at bats, I bet you could handle it. Oh, I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. I, uh, first of all, let's start with Brito. What do you do there? Because we haven't seen Tomas. He's supposed to be ready to play with that knee by sometime later this week, maybe even as soon as Thursday. But uh, Socrates Brito here, as we sit here prior to the game Wednesday night, the is hitting 391. He's 9 for 23. He's got two doubles and a home run, six RBIs. I mean, he's he's been terrific defensively. Uh, Here's what I do with Brito. What do you do? He's on the squad. Number okay. one, because A.J. has gotten very little at-bats in spring. Brito can play center field. Um, you can still treat A.J. with kid gloves if you need to. Worried about that shoulder. Are you worried about it? I think the longer this goes, I'm a little bit more worried about it than uh, I originally was. But he's supposed to come back and I pl- think maybe play this weekend yeah. or at the earliest or maybe at the latest next week. So Brito's on the ball club, and if he's not filling in for Pollock in center field, I'm playing him a lot in the left field. Peralta's a fixture in right. Pollock's a fixture in center. But A.J.'s health right now has got Brito on my club. That's definitely a consideration, but just for the sake of discussion, let's take the center field element out of the equation. Does Brito deserve to be the left fielder or Tomas? Well, as you said, we haven't seen anything with Tomas. He's got to get healthy. Right now, Brito would be my left fielder because I haven't seen what Yasmani can do. It seems like the consensus you know around here that? is no, I do. Yeah, but it seems like the consensus is if they find a way to get Brito into the lineup every day, just hypothetically, right. you got a rookie of the year here. Didn't Aaron uh, Aaron Boone say that he thought that yeah. uh, Brito could be a, a rookie of the year candidate? Booney was here in camp the, on Monday, and I stood and watched batting practice with him for about an hour, and he talked to a lot of the coaches, and he was he's all in on Brito. There was a great pay, uh, story in the paper. Uh, I think Nick Pecoro had this story on Brito. And, uh, you know, his mother is a biologist. Yeah. uh, But he's really down to earth. I mean, he appreciates what he has been able to accomplish. He thanks the people uh, back in the Dominican. Uh, He's taking the young kids here, the young Dominicans, the young Latin players, kind of taking them in and helping them out like he got that help. I love a kid like that. I mean, he knows what it's about. He knows what he had to do to battle to get to where he is. And we've seen progress of him now. This is the third spring we've seen him. And he's gotten better. He's gotten bigger. And uh, I think he's going to be a terrific ball player. He comes from a very academically inclined yeah. family. His, they all graduated. Four brothers who are all college graduates, which is very rare, I yes. guess, in the Dominican Republic. But, I mean, he's a specimen, man. Yeah, he, I mean, is. he is a physical specimen. It's just a it's just a package of tools. He runs, he throws, he hits, and it's hard to keep him out of the lineup. Now, having said that, Tomas, looks, I think, looks good physically. Yeah. He, he worked very hard all winter long. 
Uh, you're paying him $68 million. That's if you include the opt-out. Let's just assume he stays the whole six years. Uh, the, the guy's got talent he can hit. Yeah. Um, it's not something you just brush aside. But He's it's, a good kid. It's easy to get caught up in yeah. Rito when you watch him play every day and you haven't seen Tomas in a week and a half. Well, I, what's your take? I mean, I, I gave you mine. I mean, you know, with what we have not seen from Yasmani being healthy, Brito's my left fielder right now. If opening day is tomorrow, I don't yeah. think there's any question about that. But We've as got we two s- weeks to get Yasmani Exactly. Ready. As yeah. we said a moment ago, this is the time the first day after the off day where it really starts right. to get serious. And these are very difficult questions to answer. Let's sure. let's go to the infield here. Mm-hmm. Um, Brandon, the Ahmed rumor. Well, there was that. All right, well, let's, let's start there, I guess. Uh, Ken Rosenthal wrote a piece quoting one unnamed Diamondbacks official as saying they were getting a little frustrated with Nick Ahmed not being uh, being resistant to change, I think was the Chip term. Chip Hill took exception to that, And too. Chip said he didn't like that. He said Nick has been very open. He's worked with the coaches. He's made changes. And remember this, too. And then Nick Cafardo in the Boston Globe, because yeah. Nick is from Massachusetts, right. wrote that uh, uh, the Cardinals were looking at Nick Ahmed as a replacement for Johnny Peralta. The Cardinals who are looking for somebody. Yeah, yeah, Peralta's going to miss at least three months, yeah. it looks like. So they need a shortstop. Um, so somebody put two and two together there. But here's the thing about Nick. He is a notoriously slow starter. He had a good spring last year, then started real slow out of the gates when the season. Oh, in the middle of May, he's yeah. hitting like a buck thirty. Yeah. But this spring, he's hitting four forty through his first eight games. Eleven for twenty-five, two doubles, three triples, a home run, eight RBIs. He's hitting a ton. I think his power game is going to pick up too. I mean, I, I think we just saw he touched the surface with it last year. You got to remember, he was a rookie last year. And there was a lot new on his plate. He wasn't hitting, so obviously he was fighting himself there. And now that he has, uh, you know, established himself as a, a terrific and outstanding, one of the better defensive shortstops in the game, now he can concentrate, I think, a little bit more on his hitting. I think he's done that. He's made uh, a couple of minor changes or two from what we understand. And uh, right now it's paying off. I watched him take – in fact, Booney and I watched him take batting practice the other day with Dave Magan right there, and – he seems to really be developing a nice opposite field approach. He was lacing balls to the mm-hmm. gap in right center field, Nick Ahmed. And if he can do that consistently in the games, that's a game changer for him. So at least as of this moment, the offense is more than there for Nick Ahmed. He's hitting 440 this spring. Yeah. So that's almost a non-issue. So if Ahmed hits, he's the shortstop, right? Yep. Even, even a little bit. Yeah. Okay. So then what do you do with Brandon Jury? Now remember last spring training. Brandon Drury was their best hitter throughout the spring, and it wasn't even close. Well, he's making a bid to have that same title here this year. Brandon Drury, first 10 games this spring, 11 for 26, five doubles, two home runs, eight RBIs. He's hitting 423. Yeah, he's, he's the extra base power is what I like. And it, it, it doesn't seem to accomplish anything sending him to the minor leagues no. at this point other no. than get four or five at-bats a game. Uh, Jake Lamb's picked it up. Jake yeah. had a very slow start the first he had week. That fourth strikeout game. He was striking out a lot, but right now Jake is up to three fifty-three. Or pardon me, no, three seventy-five. at one time. Three seventy-five through his first eight games. Jake Lamb, three doubles, a home run, four RBIs. He's hitting the ball with his new batting stance. The hands are lower; they're closer to his body. It's quicker through the zone. And when you stand right behind the cage and watch him, he's a lot quicker through the hitting zone than he was last year. Candy and I talked about this on the broadcast on Sunday when we were playing the White Sox. The guys who are competing for jobs—they're all defending well and they're all hitting. It's brutal, isn't yeah. it? Like, what do you do? <laughs> it's great. I, I mean, yeah, I, I don't envy the coaching yeah. staff. These are going to be very difficult choices if the narratives don't change over mm-hmm. the next two or three weeks. 
I don't know what any of these answers are. Chris Owings looks terrific. Segura looks like the best leadoff hitter. Segura's 11 for 20 yeah. for crying out loud. Yeah. He, I mean, <laughs> I think he's got something to prove coming over. I, think, oh, I don't uh, think there's any question about I, and that. I think we might see the all-star Gene Segura that uh, was in Milwaukee a few years ago with a lot of stolen bases. Segura, every time he comes up, he yeah. bangs it into left center field. Yeah. Solid. The bottom line is, we talk about this year in and year out. You go to, uh, you, you start the season, you've got a 12-man staff, you've got a five-man pitching staff. And you know, pitching rotation, and you're usually going to need another four, maybe five over the course of a year. Bang, uh, you know, he was 12 last year, yeah. yeah. And then you know, you're going to need more bullpen. So, the deeper you are, even if some of these kids have to start the year in the minor leagues, they're going to get called up. Another guy that I like a lot, and we'll go back to the rotation since you just brought it up, I, I like Tyler Wagner a lot. I, I've watched him. I've pitch. seen him pitch twice. I've seen him pitch two games here. I've seen him pitch a game the other day, Monday, in fact. Remember, on, he was only in Biloxi last year. Double A. I know. But he led the Southern League in ERA when 11 and 4. But I'm as just deep saying, as they are right now, he's got a chance to go to the AAA level or start again in Double A. I think he'll be in Triple A. Right. And, and, you know, get to that start every fifth day and be ready for when the bell, you know, rings. But that's to your point. Yeah. He made three big league starts last year. His major league debut, coincidentally, was against us. But that's a guy that will factor in at some point down the road, I really believe, having watched him pitch here this spring. Is Stauffer still in the organization? He was here. Yeah, he got sent to minor league camp. So, you know, there's another another guy. I mean, you've got, you know, you got some depth now if you need it in the rotation. Uh, You're not bringing up some of the guys you were bringing up a couple of years ago to try and fill in spots, which was really pretty bleak. And I don't want to overlook Phil Gosselin. Getting back to the infield here, three ninety one. Phil Goslin through his first nine games, and probably his at bats are so impressive. You know, include Segura in this. Goslin may be the best hitter of the four, four or five. Talk about the middle infielders: Ahmed, Segura, Owings, and uh, who am I leaving out? Owings, uh, Goslin. You know those four. Um, He hits. I think he hits the ball with authority. He can drive it from you know gap to gap. Uh, he can hit some home runs. He probably, almost, probably the weakest defender of that group. Yes, but if he plays adequate, yeah. let's just say hypothetically, if he plays adequate defense, makes the routine plays, and hits He'll get like playing time. he, you could make a point that he should be the second baseman because yeah. he's going to play. He's going to make the routine plays at second. He's going to hit. He's going to put the ball in play, move runners along. He's very good at that. Now let me ask you this: I know Dave Stewart has come out and said I'm not moving one of my middle infielders, but if the battles continue here and the Diamondbacks see a need, maybe where they want to go out and improve another position, could you see something coming up before the season starts? Yeah, if you can get, if you could get. Uh, a really good pitching prospect for one of these guys, then you have to think about mm-hmm. it. I, I don't, I don't, you, you, you hate to lose your depth. I say never depth. say never. Right. And yeah. I, I don't think yeah. they are either. No. And in fact, I heard Tony LaRusso this morning on with Doug and Wolf, 98.7, talking about that. Are they shopping Nick Ahmed? Absolutely not. Right. Are, do they listen to calls from other teams? Absolutely. But if a team becomes desperate and offers you something that you can't turn down, then you listen. Yeah, and I'm not going to speak for Tony, but he said on his radio show that, look, they have a responsibility to listen right. when somebody calls. Yeah. yeah. But are they calling around saying, hey, do you want Nick Ahmed or Chris Owings or Phil Goslin? No, that's not happening, not even close. I believe you. There are 14, 14 other teams in this league, Cactus League, and the grapefruit scouts that are here that are watching that middle infield battle develop. Oh, you know And it. thinking, wow, we got to have one of these guys. Yeah, Chris Owings looks terrific. 
Segura looks like the all-star. Look, we can't get too worked up. We're two weeks into spring training. But the numbers are what they are, mm -hmm. and you got to make decisions based on what we've seen so far. And what we've seen so far has been the team that's leading the catches league and runs and hits. The funny thing is the guy who's not hitting, you don't really worry about him because he pretty much does this every spring since he's come up. How about Paul Golden? Goldschmidt? Five for 23 with nine strikeouts. Yeah. How about that? Yeah. By the way, little Jake was in the, with Amy the other day. Oh, really? Oh, uh, little yeah, little yeah. baby Goldie, and Amy was just oh, she was great. Uh, he's oh, he's an adorable little kid, bright blue eyes, wearing a, like a little Goldie forty four Jake baby shirt. It was funny. Uh, and Peralta had a home run the other day. That yeah. was good to see here off Chris Medlin against the Royals. Pollock becomes a Pollock and Tomas become a concern if they're not playing next week. For me, it sounds like that. A.J. had the elbow thing, took a couple of days off, came back a little too soon. It hurt again, so they said, okay, we're going to be extra super-duper yeah. careful. You are just going to shut it down here for a while. No ifs, ands, or buts. So we want this to not be a thing. And it seems like, based on A.J.'s comments, that yeah. it's pretty much back to 100%, but they're going to err on the side of caution. Tomas, here. I think, is a little bit closer. Tomas apparently has been taking full batting practice all week long. I saw him hit, actually, on yeah, Monday. Yeah, Chip said he hit pretty well. Yeah, so uh, he went three for seven in that B game and hasn't played since. I think that was last Monday. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a concern. What about the bullpen? What do you have on the bullpen? I, you know, I don't mind the bullpen, and I think that's because Evan Marshall right now is throwing the heck out of the bull. He, he gets issue. into the mix. Sam LeCure's been good. You know, yes. the veteran who's yes. been there and done it before from Cincinnati. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, some, some hard decisions may be forthcoming now where you thought maybe the bullpen was pretty well set. The left-handed situation, uh, Chapin's a given. Uh, I don't know how it's going to shake out between Wright and Reynolds. Um, Matt Reynolds. Uh, Hessler went, did Hessler go down already? I don't believe so. Okay, he's still in the mix. Reynolds has appeared in three games, three innings, two runs, four hits, uh, three strikeouts. He's been okay. Bracho's looked pretty good. He's only like pitched Bracho. in one game. Bracho, Burgos, Marshall, Lequeur, you're right, has been good. Um, haven't seen enough of Wesley Wright yet. Four innings, he's given up three hits with three strikeouts. Yeah. Let's not rule him out Yeah, yet. exactly. Um, that's Cody Hall got sent down. Yeah the guy they got from the Giants. But that's wide open as well, yep. the bullpen. Yep. So there are a lot of questions here to be answered over and the next two weeks. not a lot of time. Yeah we're, yeah, we're at that point where, okay, it's time to really get yeah. serious. Yeah. Um, do you think they'll make a deal, yes or no? What's your... Ah, oh, boy. Yeah, it's hard. You have to have two to make the deal, obviously. But I, you don't want to trade because you have a surplus just to make a deal. No, you want no, to address, address a need. Yeah. And, and so if, if you do make a deal, what's the need that you're addressing? Yeah, the, Pitching depth? Maybe. But, you know, I like the depth that they've got. I see why Dave Stewart says I'm not touching one of my middle infielders. I mean, I really like it. If Chip can fi figure out a way to get all these guys playing time and keep everybody happy, I think it's going to be good. But young guys have got to play, too. So, you know, if you give one guy a job at shortstop, one guy a job at second base, you know, they pretty much got to be in there every day. You know who I like, too, as a fourth outfielder? Evan Marzilli. I think Evan Marzilli has looked really good this spring. He missed so much time last year. I think they want to at least give him start probably he, he, a triple He's got to get it back. Yeah. But down, I agree. But down the yeah. road, and in the very not-too-distant future, Evan Marzilli hitting uh, through 12 games, 333, three doubles, a triple, a home run. We've liked him the last few springs we've seen because he's always one of those minor leagues they bring up, and he always does something. Yep. And then good defender. Last year, I think it was nine games into yeah. the season Boom. in Reno, he needed ankle surgery, yeah. wiped out virtually his entire season. But he's a left-hand bat. He goes and gets everything in the outfield. He can play center field, yep. which is critical yeah. for a fourth outfield yeah. type. You have to be able to play center field. 
I, I really like him down the road as that fourth outfield type. He can he can be sort of a poor man's Ender Inciarte. I, I think he's had an excellent spring. He looks really good. I, I don't. I there's so many names to get thrown around here. I'd hate to lose Evan Marzilli. Well, in the that's mix. why these coaches have meetings and talk things over. You know, with with Dave Stewart and with uh, with Tony and uh, and and amongst themselves to try and figure things out. Well, it's all about uh, winning the division and getting into the postseason. And our guest this week is one of the all-time postseason heroes in baseball history. Two balls and two strikes on it. Here's the pitch on the way. A swing and a belt. Left field. Way back. Blue Jays win it. The Blue Jays are World Series champions. As Joe Carter hits a three-run home run in the ninth inning. And the Blue Jays have repeated as World Series champions. Touch them all, Joe. You'll never hit a bigger home run in your life. That was Game 6, 1993 World Series. Tom Cheek's famous call on Blue Jays Radio. Joe Carter's three-run homer off the Phillies' Mitch Williams to win the 1993 World Series on a 2-2 pitch. And in watching that at bat, Joe, the funny thing was that Williams had got you to swing and miss on a, a pitch down in the dirt on the previous pitch just before the home run. Breaking ball, yeah. Yeah, and it looked like he, he might have had you on the ropes there. Well, what had happened was, and I, I like to say that, uh, he threw me a 2-1 two, 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 breaking ball, and I lost it in the jersey of Mickey Morandini <laughs> because Mickey was at second base, and he was right behind second base. And so Mitch's arm angle, the way that he the way that he threw the ball, it came out of his jersey at second base. And so when I, when I, when I first saw it, it looked like a pretty good breaking ball. And then I got ready to swing. I kind of kind of stopped a little bit, but I'd already committed yeah. myself. And it was in the dirt just about. So I think Tim McCarver made the uh, – you could hear him say on the, on the, on the uh, telecast, it was kind of an awkward swing. And that's because for a brief second, I lost it out of the jersey. And so it kind of helped me because now Mickey moved a little bit over more towards the first base side of second base and out of his uh, – Because there were two strikes. Yeah, the two strikes with, the, with his arm angle. And so I'm thinking, you know, breaking ball. He's going to throw me the breaking ball again. And that that last pitch, I was looking breaking ball because I had looked so bad on the breaking ball before. But you got a fastball belt high, didn't you? I got a fastball down and in. Okay. And it was a, it was more like a cut fastball. Uh, but it, it went back to my teaching the way that Bobby Bonds taught me. He said, fastball, you just react to it. You know, if you're looking off speed or if you're looking slider – and they throw you a fastball, all you're doing to the fastball is reacting. And so that's what I did. I was able to look breaking ball. I knew that he was not going to throw the, the fastball by me. And when I recognized fastball, it was more or less just react to the ball down and in. And the only reason why I kept that ball fair was because I was looking breaking ball. If I'm looking fastball, I'm going to hook that ball in the third base dugout for it, sure. it was pulled down the line there. Yeah, it, it was. It was close to going out. I mean, uh, close to being foul, I should say. Well, it, it wasn't that close to being foul compared to what I, I right. usually hit. Yeah, but it was, you know, you know, straightaway left field. But uh, normally, no, I never keep that ball fair if I'm looking fastball in. How many times do you think you've had to tell that story? Uh, today? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I always feel bad because we've had Aaron Boone uh, with us. Uh, guys that have had legendary postseason moments. It just becomes almost part of your identity. Yeah, a big part of your identity. What's, what's it like to you carry that around all what, the time? It, you know, it's great because you know it, it could be, you could be on the flip side. Sure, 
you could be that guy that gave up the home run or on, on the losing end. But what I tell people, and everywhere I go and speak to sure, people will always tell me where they were, <clears throat> what they were doing. And the first thing I get up and say, because when they introduced me, they introduced that home run. And I get up and I say, you know, I did hit more than one home run in my career. 300, <laughs> 396, to and be then, exact. And then six in the playoffs. How about that? So um, so I look at that. You know, they said, you know, the 400 home run plateau. I said, well, I did. I got, I got 402. You know, because you know those count, those count in the playoffs and everything. But no, it, it's it's you know I'll talk about it all the time because it's something that resonates with people. Uh, you always have those moments where you say, you know, you remember where you were at, sure. what you were doing at that particular time. You know, it was like when JFK was shot, Martin Luther King was shot, uh, the Apollo when when the the, the uh, spaceship blew mm-hmm. up. You know, things like that you remember, and now. You know, people remember where my home, where they were doing when my home run was hit back in uh, October 23rd. And it's true, 400 something home runs, but you will never hit a bigger home run in your life. No, no, call. no. And people will ask me, is that the, is that the biggest home run you ever hit? And, <clears throat> you know, it's a big home run, but I, I tell them it wasn't the biggest home run I hit. Which was the biggest? Well, the biggest was my rookie season with Cleveland, and it was 84. It was 84. And we're playing the New York Yankees, and we had we had not beaten the Yankees that year at all, and we're facing Ron Guidry. And as a rookie, you know, you're trying to find a, a way to establish yourself, and there's always that aha moment when you realize you say, you know what, I can do this. I belong here. You always had the confidence, but until you proved it, then to yourself, to, to myself, sure. there was always that little doubt. And we faced Ron Guidry, and Burt Blylevin was pitching. And uh, we won the game 6 nothing. I hit a two-run homer and a grand slam off of Ron Guidry, drove in all six RBIs. Would have had seven, but Brooke Jacoby tripped over the plate and didn't touch home plate on my seventh RBI. <laughs> we won the game 6 nothing, And it was that moment. When I hit that first grand slam off of Ron Guidry, it was like, wow, you know, this, you know, okay, I, I, I've made it now. And then the next at bat, a two-run homer, then, you know, to me, those were, you know, pretty big home runs because that was early in my career. Because 83, you came up with the Cubs. Right, with the Cubs. Who, who drafted you out of Wichita right. State. Mm-hmm. But so that you had played, you'd been around the major leagues a little bit prior to the big home run off Gidry. Yeah, I was, I, I came up uh, in, I believe it was in July, Leon Durham had went on, this, went on the disabled list. And so I was up for the 15 days. He was on the DL, went back down, came up in September, played a little bit in September. And then the 84 spring training, I felt I was going to make that ball club. And uh, they made some small little trade with uh, Philadelphia. They got Bob Denier, Gary Matthews. And so that took all the outfitters. And so that sent me back down to AAA. And I was very upset because I thought I had made that ball club. And then you but ended up getting traded for Rick Sutcliffe. Ended up getting traded um, in June of uh, 2000, uh, uh, I'm sorry, of 1984. And uh, Sutcliffe will always tell me, because we're neighbors and, and good friends, he said that was the best deal the Cubs ever made. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like Sut. Yeah, it, uh, it sounds like <laughs> Sut. I said, yes, Sut, but it helped me. It, it helped get me a ring. So I remember, I think we were in Houston last season, because mm-hmm. now that you're special assistant to the GM here, Dave Stewart, you, you travel with the team occasionally. You're here in spring training. You're in uniform doing this interview right now. 
And it's it's just you're such a treasure of of knowledge and stories. But I remember we got Houston one time, and Sut had been there doing right. an ESPN game, and we came in late, and it was me and you and Eduardo Perez and Sut telling stories. And I thought, oh, Leo, I thought, oh, I wish we were recording this because this is gold. You and Sut talking about <laughs> fights because Sut loves to talk about fights. <laughs> yeah, he when does. guys charge, he loved he loved nothing more than when guys charge. And Sut couldn't even fight. Oh, uh, <laughs> I didn't say that. That was him. <laughs> but, but but there's so much. Gosh, there's just so many stories and knowledge and wisdom there. To, that and that's part of your job now to pass that along, right? It 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 is, Steve. I mean, the history of the game. I mean, the game is great, but it's the players you meet. It's the 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 friendships you you, you that you come to know throughout those years. And you know, it, it was funny because when when Rick. And we talked about one of the stories that I remember uh, when when we got traded, uh, Mel Hall was in that deal with us going to Cleveland, and Mel Hall was like, "Well, who the heck is Rick Sutcliffe?" You know this and that. And so the next year in spring training, Sutcliffe wanted to hit everybody that was involved <laughs> in that trade. It was <laughs> June of '84. You, Daryl Banks, Don Schultze, Mel Hall, and Don Schultze to Cleveland. Going from the Indians to the Cubs, George Frazier, Ron Hassey, and Rick Sutcliffe. Yeah, and, and, and when Sutcliffe heard that, and so we faced those guys in spring training. And <laughs> so Mel is hitting before me, and so the first two pitches, he, I mean, he drills Mel Hall. And so <laughs> Why? Because of what Mel had said the year before. Oh, like, who, who the, the heck, heck is Rick Sutcliffe? <laughs> and so now I'm up after Mel. And so Jody Davis puts down the signs, and he's Rick is shaking them off. Nope, nope, nope. And then he's like, and then Rick gives him the sign, I'm going to hit him. <laughs> and Jody said, whoa, time out. So Jody runs out there. He says, no. He says, Joe's the good guy. He said, don't hit him. Rick, I mean, uh, Mel was a bad guy, but Joe, no, Joe was cool. So uh, Rick didn't hit me, but I told Rick, I said, yeah, if you'd hit me, it wouldn't have hurt. You know, oh. he only throws about, what, 60 or 70, so it wouldn't have been <laughs> nothing. So, we, you know, it's stories like that uh, in baseball. It's all about the stories. It's all about your history, and and what we went through, and how we got to what you know the success that we had, and I, I love it here in Arizona now because Dave has given in Lorton Larusa, Chip Hill, they've given us that opportunity to tell our stories to these young guys, and let them know that what it took to become a champion, and 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 embracing everybody to come together with one goal in mind, and and putting aside all your your um, individual uh, accomplishments mm -hmm. it's like do whatever it takes to win the ball game for your team sacrifice self uh, to be very unselfish uh, you have to go out there and, and think about the team first and that's what this team has been doing what is there one thing that you find that guys ask or want to know more so than anything else I, I tell you what 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 I tried to bring to this ball club because I you know I, I talked with Goldie and, and Goldie and I started talking quite a bit now good because I know he's the leader and, and one thing that I always did when I played, Steve, I never talked really to hitters. I talked to the pitchers. Mm -hmm. And so asking these guys, do you ever go and talk to the pitchers? They go, no, we never talk to the pitchers. I'm like, why not? They're the guys getting you out. I said, so you need to find out what they see because, you know, your, your, your pitchers on your staff, they see you every single day. They, would have, they sit there, and I, and I guarantee you, they analyze how they would get, you know, how they would get Goldschmidt out how they would get A.J. Pollock out, what they see as a, as a pitcher facing a hitter. And so now if you have that knowledge, you know, from a pitching staff, and then you go and you talk to those guys, you say, oh, well, why would you throw me this pitch? Why would you throw me that pitch? 
What would you do in this situation? And that's all I did. I sit on the bench and I would talk to guys like Pat Hinton uh, all the time. You know, we'd come in and from the outfield and the first thing Pat would say, man, yeah, he should have threw this pitch or that pitch. I said, yeah, he should have because he had the hitter set up. And so you find you become a student of the game. And, and now with the hitters talking to the pitchers, I even went a step further and would talk to the pitching coaches. And so after I, I was telling Goldie uh, those things, the next day he's in there talking to Mike Butcher. Because so you, you just noticed <coughs> that on your own? I mean, yeah, Good. I, I go in there and he's talking to Butcher because he's looking, okay, what, what kind of report did you guys have on me? And so if you know the reports that are out there, you kind of you kind of have an idea. Mm-hmm. But when you hear it from a pitching coach that played that was another, you know, big league pitching coach and see what their thinking is, then you kind of have an idea. And if you can, you know, find out how teams are going to pitch you, what they're thinking about in the back of their mind, and, and as a pitcher, as a hitter, I mean, that, that's knowledge. So guys are willing to absorb that. Because oh, these yes. guys aren't millennials. Right. I don't think, anyway. I lose track of who's a millennial, millennial these days. But we X, always hear y. about the you know the short attention span, and they're in their phones all the time and all that stuff. No. You, you haven't found that to be the case here? No. This ball club, yeah. no. In fact, I haven't even seen the phones. I mean, these 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 guys here, I mean, they, they are just sponges. I mean, we sit around a cage. We're talking all the time. They're asking things. They're talking about this, this, that, and this. I mean, no, it, it has been quite the opposite because – you know, this ball club, uh, no, they want to know everything. And, you know, when you look around, you have you have Dave Stewart as your general manager. You have Tony LaRusso, all the rings that they, those guys have won. Then you got Luis Gonzalez. Then you got Randy Johnson talking to the it's guys. It's crazy, isn't it? You know, Mark Grace, you know, great hitters. You know, they know, we know what it took to win. And so now all these guys are like, hey, we're in a position to win. You know, let's, let's get that extra edge. Let's see what that, that edge is because – I tell these guys, I said, every one of you, as far as hitters, growing up, you hit third or fourth. I mean, you were the big man on campus. I say, but everybody in the big leagues, they were the big man on campus. And so now, what do you have, what do you do extra to gain that extra edge over the guys who always hit third and fourth? I mean, so now it's the more mental approach and the more knowledge you can gain in this game than the eager is going to become. Who's the young guy that you've seen that maybe wasn't on your radar before? This spring and now is well. One one guy I've really been talking to is Guerrero. Oh man, he is. <laughs> Gab- Gabby. We're not supposed to call him Gabby, but G- yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, no, Guerrero. Well, he, he's the spitting image, isn't he? He, he is the spit. I mean, everything you see is just like his uncle. Yeah. Uh, everything, but the talent is just oozing. I mean, I said there. I've talked with him quite a bit. Uh, you know, kind of looked at his swing a little bit, gave him some tips because he reminds me of me. How so? But, but because he's he's a free swinger, mm-hmm. you know he there's not a pitch that he doesn't like. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's not he's not. But going, you could get to all those. I could get to all those, and so now I'm trying to help him to show him how he can get to all those pitches. And and the one thing that I I, I was noticing that he was kind of stepping in the bucket a little bit, and when his back foot is slipping, and so now I've I've you know we talked to just the other day when I came back, uh, it was more or less you know if you're gonna do that. And, and this is what Bobby Bonds was very good at. It. I think he was the best hitting coach I ever had because he never tried to make us hit a certain way. He said, I want you to get in the box, and however you feel the most comfortable, then I want you to, to, to hit that way. Because when you start out, he didn't want you thinking about that you weren't relaxed at the plate. Right. So he said, if I can get you to relax the plate, half the battle is won. 
And so talking to 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 Guerrero, you know, if he's going to hit that way, I said, you know what? How Luis used to, uh, Gonzalez used to hit, he had an open stance. Sure. I say now, if you're if you're having problems stepping towards third base, stepping in the bucket, go ahead and open up towards third base. I said, now you're not going to step towards third base to get to the ball. You're going to step more towards home plate. And so now that keeps that front foot in when you're not sliding. You, so you're not picking your foot up and going away from the pitch and that breaking ball away, the slider the, that away or the fastball away, now you're going to get a chance to get it. And, uh, you know, he tried it for a few times and, you know, BP says, hey, I like this. I like this. And so, you know, I was, like I say, I was a free swinger. I was not going to walk. And uh, Gabby's the same way. And, uh, you know, so, you know, guys like that, they very have been very receptive. Now, how do you coordinate something like that? What starts out as a simple conversation and observation you have with Dave Magadan and Mark Grace and some of the minor league coaches? Because I, I imagine you don't want too many voices coming at one young guy like that. Well, no. And, and one thing I like about what this organization is doing, you know, they allow me that freedom. Mm -hmm. You know, so I've been in the cage with these guys. You know, I've been, I was here for two weeks. Uh, then got a week off, but to come back for two more weeks. So I, I've been with these guys, and it's basically, you know, there's there's the approach that whatever knowledge I wanted to give those guys, then fine. But we're not going to give them, you know, three, four, five, six things to work on. It's just going to be just one simple thing, you know, and, and you take away from that. And so far, uh, so I'm not overstepping my boundaries because what Gracie and, and Max has done has been tremendous so far here in spring training. So you just give them just a little tidbit, just a little help, because, but, you know, once we have our meetings, we're all talking about the same thing. And that's getting to a, a very good hitting approach, a hitting count that uh, every ball player wants to be in. So when you were a Blue Jay having conversations with the pitchers, like you said, I imagine you had conversations with Stu. Is that how you guys developed this relationship? And, and how did he get you here as part of the Diamondbacks? Well, you know, the thing about Stu, I, I think that he saw in me was because, you know, we, we were all gamers. Uh, you know, and we did the, you know, I knew I had the ability, but, you know, you would do other things. You know, you would scout the game out. I knew, you know, the, the pitch, like I say, because talking to pitchers, I even knew when the scouts came to the games because you'd always have your advanced scouts, right. you know, coming and you see them up there doing BP and stuff. You say, oh, the Oreos are, Oreos are in town. We're playing them next week or the week later. And so once we would get to Baltimore, I would say, okay, we were playing Milwaukee when the scout came in. So how did I do in that series? So I'd go back, I'd look at that series. And if I had a great series, I looked how they pitched me, and I knew that Baltimore was going to pitch me differently. Oh, because okay. they're saying, okay, hey, well, I saw Carter, you know, he was hitting this, 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 and this. And so now they're going to stay away from that. And so, you know, those, those are things that I would do. And so Stu saw those things. But I think the main thing he saw was that when – I came to the ballpark ready to play, you know, and, and, you know, the people around you is like, it's not how good you are. I think it's how good you can make your teammates be, how good a teammate you are. And I was always a great teammate because Fergie Jenkins taught me that, you know, it takes 25 guys to win a championship. It, it you know, it, whether it's a rookie or a 10-year veteran, I mean, you make everybody feel a part of that team. And that's the one thing that I try to do was make everybody feel a part of the team regardless of their their experience or stature, you know, we were all in it together. And when we talk about baseball, you know, he knew that, you know, we came to play and I always came to play whether, you know, I played every day and, and Stu loved that about me. I, 
I was going to bring that up because I, in looking at the record, 16 years in the big leagues from 83 to 98. But there are years here. I'm just going to list the games played for Joe Carter. 162, 149, 157, 162, three years in a row for three different teams. Hello. Cleveland, San Diego, Toronto, then the back-to-back World Series. I mean, you were in there every freaking day, man, right up until age 36 and 37, you played 157 games. Well, and How'd you do that? Because, one, I kept myself, you know, when I came to the ballpark, I was like Cal Ripken. You know, I wanted to play, and no matter how I was feeling, and I always had the saying that everybody can play when they're healthy. I say, but, you know, when you have little aches and pains, and which you're going to have. Yeah. But when I came to the ballpark, I expected to play. I wanted to play. They made the benches hard for a reason. You know, cause I, and that was my thinking. And, and I always Don't thought, get comfortable. Yeah, don't get comfortable. I, you know, if you see me in a dugout, I can't sit on the bench. You know, I, I, can't, I have to stand up because that bench hurts. So I've, I've never been used to sitting on benches. But my theory was when I came to the ballpark that I, I felt there was some fan that may, it may be the first time they're coming to the ballpark say, oh, I want to see Joe Carter play. And, well, he's not playing because he was, he's a little tired. I'm like, come on, really? So if you take care of yourself, and, and this is, that, that was my job. So I expected when I came to the ballpark, I was going to play no matter what. But that's a remarkable record of durability. I mean, 2,189 games in 16 years. It's, it's amazing. I was, now, I was second behind Ripken. Um, and, and, and then, I mean, because when I look at I mean, I've had a broken hand, broken nose. I had a uh, cracked kneecap. I had a broken thumb. Uh, and I still played. <laughs> and in fact, in in uh, in '94, I got hit in spring training a week before the season started, and I broke my thumb. Scott Erickson hit me, and they said, "Well, there was rumors that I'd be out four to six weeks." And I'm like, four to six weeks?" I go, "I'm going to play opening day. You know, I'm going to find a way to play." But that's because that's the way my dad always taught me. He said, "You know, you sit there and you bail out. I mean, there's people trying to take your job." And so I felt that 80% of me was a lot better than 100% of us, you know, other players. And, yeah. and so I went out and played the month of April. And if you look back, I was player of the month. <laughs> I set the Major League <laughs> RBI record for most RBIs in April, you know, playing with a broken thumb. And I'm like, that's, but that's, what I, that's all that I knew. Mm-hmm. I wanted to play whether I was hurt or not as long as I felt I could help the ball club. Do you think, non-Diamondback specific here, but how are players from this generation different from yours, if at all? What, what I see now, I, 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 you know, and when I announced back uh, up until 2002, I didn't see the urgency of, of winning championships because I think because of the money that was involved, you know, when I played, it was like, you know, you, you played year to year for your salary. You know, and it was conducive on what you did the year before. Now you got you've got guys making ten to fifteen million dollars, and and they become satisfied. Mm-hmm. You know, and and to me, money never satisfied me. It was all about winning, and I can remember. But you went through some of the labor wars too. That's would, something that your generation fought for. Well, we we fought for because guys before us fought for us, and sure. so that was that legacy. We had to carry it on, and that's one thing that I learned early on because all those guys went through something for us, and so we had to pass that down because the money that we made and what we fought for are what these guys are getting now. And see, and, and, and you know, I can remember as a rookie, 
I said, wow, you know, I signed in as a, as a number, number one pick in 80, 81, and I got a chance to go to Chicago. And I, could, I couldn't play, but I could sit on the bench. So for two weeks, you know, I'm on the bench watching big league games and Billy Williams to my right, uh, Ernie Banks to my left. You got Fergie Jenkins over there talking to me, Bobby Bonds. And so I'm sitting here and like, man, I, would, I could just love to sit on the bench and make $35,000 a year. This would be great. And I sit there for about three days and I go, this sucks. I say, I don't want to sit on the bench. I don't care. I said, I'll play for free because I wanted to go out there and play, you know, and that, that kind of opened my eyes a little bit more. It wasn't about the money. I, the money will always come when you go out there and perform. Right. I say it's all about performance. It's all about going out there and, and, and doing whatever it takes to win the ball game. I think now people are more concerned about their individual statistics, you know, so they can make those, get those big $200 million contracts uh, and not putting the team first. And I think to me, you know, that's been the biggest difference that I have seen in, in the guys today. I mean, I'm looking at some of the numbers here. I don't know how accurate these are, but it almost doesn't really matter. You were making, you know, three and a half, five and a half million dollars a year. Not great money at, in any era, but it's almost, you know, a backup shortstop makes that. <laughs> yeah, that's the major league and, minimum. Yeah, <laughs> and, and I mean, you're, you're, I mean, these are numbers. Your numbers are out of control. You were top five MVP a whole bunch of times, all star, all that stuff. So. I mean, it, like you say, it, it wasn't about the money. You know, I, I, I knew that if I went out there and put numbers up that, and helped my team to win, and that was the biggest thing because, and, we, and I try to tell these guys that you, you, you win a world championship, then your pedigree will follow you. So everywhere you go, you'll be, you know, well, he well, only hit 240, 250, but you know what? He won a championship. You're living proof of that. Yeah, you exactly. got one of the seminal home runs in the history of baseball. Yeah, and it's like that's going to follow me for the rest of my life. And it's like, you, you know, he won a championship, so he knows what it takes. And so that should be the ultimate goal of every ball player is to win a championship. You walk away with that ring, they cannot replace that. It seems like that is very much the message here from the very top all the way on down. It, it, it is, and, and that's the message we have. But what we're telling these guys don't try to go out there and do more. In fact, it's do less. And, and, and I'm not saying do less in the sense where, you know, I, I want to have to do this or do that. It's like you have to tell yourself mentally that this is not falling upon Zach Greinke. It's not falling upon Paul Goldsmith, A.J. Pollock, Shelby Miller. It, it, it's 25 guys and not just 25 guys. When I spoke to the guys, I said it's going to be 40 guys. You know, this is not a thing for just 25 guys. You're going to need all 40 guys to win a championship. Yeah. I say, but what you do is you believe in the guy in front of you and you believe in the guy behind you. And, and, and if the guy in front of you makes a mistake, you go, that's all right. You know what? Go to, I'll pick you up. And so now, you, and, and when you become a very unselfish ball player, now, you know, you, you're sitting there, hey, first and second, nobody out. You're the three-hole hitter. Oh, I'm the RBI guy. You know what? But if I get those guys over, second and third with one out, and now the guy behind me, fly ball, we're up one nothing. But if I'm thinking about myself, oh, I'm going to drive these two runs in, first and second, hitting hit ground ball, double play, and now this all of a sudden is first base and, you know, it's three, it's two outs. So thinking about those things. So doing less, meaning you, you trust in the players in front of you and behind you, and you think about the team first, and so far that's what we've been trying to get a hold of them, get, get through to those guys. Was it like that on those Blue Jays teams, the oh, back-to-backs? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The thing about those teams were we policed ourselves. 
Cito Gaston never had to have one meeting to tell us. Because he has the image of one of the most laid-back managers of all time. He has that image. Is that true? He It's true he is laid back, but it's because he has already put forth his message. The one thing that Cito always taught us was, one, you need you better have a plan, a plan of how to attack, a plan of how to pitch. I, I remember one game, he, he goes out to the mound, I believe it was Jim Acker, and I forget who he was facing. So he, went, he goes out there, he says, okay, how are you going to pitch this guy? Crucial situation. And he told him, the pitcher told him, and he goes, nah, bring in the right-hander. Because it wasn't the plan. And that's what Cito always wanted us to do was be prepared. But he knew as a player that he couldn't keep preaching that to us, that we had to start doing it ourselves. Because as a coach, you're not, you know, you get a coach who's yell all the time, always having meetings, you're going to tune them out. Yeah. But, but when your players are doing that to each other, when we're holding each other accountable, then that brings more respect in that clubhouse. And that's what Cito did. He would tell us that, hey, I'm not going to take you out in a certain situation because, you know, you know, you go to the plate, you say, oh, it's a tough right-hander. Is he going to have me bunt? Is he going to take me out? So you're looking over your shoulder for I'm making air. He says, no, you go out there and play. So what he was doing, he was teaching us confidence, to have confidence in ourselves that if you go out there, you know, he's going to take all the pressure off of you by saying, if you don't succeed, then so what? You just give it your best. You know, so you go out there, so now you're like, oh, if I don't get a hit here, I'm coming out of the ball game. I'm not going to play for three or four more days. That was never Cito. Give you a, a kind of a, a, a story about how he really believed in what we did and, and let us do our own thing. We clinched in 93 against Milwaukee. I believe we had three more games in Milwaukee. We had three more games in Baltimore to end the season in 93. So you clinched real early there. We clinched yeah. early. <coughs> which which some, freaks some people out because you're going to turn off those juices, right? You're not going to be able to get them back for the postseason. Oh, check this out. Cito goes to is myself, Dave Stewart, Devon White, Robbie, Alomar, Ricky, what a Mol Molitor, Tony, <laughs> Tony Fernandez, Pat Borders, uh, Ed Sprague has said, look, you guys aren't going to play for the next – Four or five days. He said, Won't you guys go home? Knock like, off. We're like, we're like, what? He said, Yeah, just go home. You mean back to Toronto? He said, No, you guys can go home. We left the next day. He said, But be back here Saturday night. You guys will play Sunday, the last game of the season. So we all left. Oakland, I went home to Kansas City. Robbie leaves, goes home. Ola Root, we all go home. We don't show up till Saturday night. We get back to Baltimore. We play Sunday. Hadn't taken any BP. We play Sunday. We scored 15 runs. <laughs> we beat we beat the Orioles and Ben McDonald 15 to four. That game. Now people would be freaked out like, oh, the layoff, <laughs> the layoff, the layoff. That's all you'd hear about. Yeah, and but but that's what you know. Cito he knew how to manage. He knew what to do because he was a people person. He knew. He didn't have to yell. Because he wasn't a yeller. Yeah. No, he wasn't. But he was a he was very disciplined in what he wanted to accomplish and said, you need to have a plan. And so he taught that to us, and we did that. Do you like this now? Some guys want to coach all the time. They want to be in uniform. Some guys like to breeze in a couple of times a year and then have their free time. Do, do you like this role for you now? Because sometimes you're here, sometimes you're not. You know what? L last year, uh, you know, when Dave uh, hired me, uh, he told me to kind of 
break it, you know, do as much as I want or as less as I want because I had not been in the game since 2002. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I didn't know hardly any of these players. You could have asked me, name me two players off of each MLB team, and so I could have named you. were out playing golf. You weren't <laughs> watching baseball, right? <laughs> well, I did that my whole life. So <laughs> I'm like, uh, I wasn't going to do that. And so Dave, you know, he kind of broke me in easy. So I had never been on the administrative side. And so looking at all the waiver stuff, um, you know, going out scouting, looking at, at different ball players, uh, the things that, uh, you know, the front office and, and, and staff will do, I was not – I never knew about that stuff. So it kind of broke me in easy. But, you know, this year he says, no, I want you to be more involved this year. And I said, I want to be more involved. So I think last year, you know, I, I saw the team more on the road than I did at home. But uh, I did a lot more scouting last year as far as the amateur draft. So I got a chance to see a lot of the, the top – picks that were number one draft picks last year, which was fun for me because I got a chance to go back uh, to the high schools and and look at these guys, uh, the, the, the Dansby Swansons, the Trent Clarks, uh, and see these guys and go, wow, I remember back when I was coming up through high school, wanted to be drafted and seeing my dreams come to fruition, you know, finally being drafted out of college. So it gave me a, a sense of pride. It gave me uh, it was really fulfilling to see those guys and see everybody out there still, you know, you know, having those dreams. And so now this year, you know, coming in, I have more of a, you know, I can talk to the guys. I know these guys now, you know, they feel more comfortable with me and vice versa. So now it's like I really feel like a part of the team and a part of the organization because now, you know, we've been through the winter meetings together. And we've, he- and you're emotionally <laughs> invested, too, in the oh, Diamondbacks. Oh, yes, exactly. We've been through the, the trade deadlines, you know, in Houston last year. So, no, this is, to me, this is this is a perfect scenario. So, no, you'll see a lot more of me. I just don't know if I want to be in uniform or be up in the front office. But I, I think watching the game up there. But if you watch the game up here where you guys watch it, I don't know if I can watch a game with Tony La Russa. Man, it's, it's, I've sat with him in the booth. It, it's like it's like the Final Four or something, or Game Seven, isn't it? A spring training game. It is, but you know what? I see why he has always been so successful wherever he has been. Tony was always a guy that you know when you played for him, you loved him. When you played against him, you hated him. He was one of those guys. You hated him, but it was more of a respectful hate because sure. he was always successful. But now, coming here and seeing what he has done with all the meetings that we have, uh, and you have all the minor league staff, he puts everybody on the same, on on one accord, meaning how we do things in the big leagues, we do it in the minor leagues. The Diamondback way. Yes, and and that was the biggest thing that, in talking with Cito Gaston, Cito would tell me, he says, Joe, they don't teach these guys baseball in the minor leagues in the Blue Jays organization. And then they bring them up to me in the big leagues and they want me to teach them when they should already know the, the, the way to play the game. Yeah. But here it's different. Here it's like from the, from the low A ball team to the big leagues, we all do things the same way. It's more or less what's your, what's your approach to hitting 2-0, 3-0? What's your approach to running the bases? What's your approach to... You know, the cutoffs and relays, everything is synchronized. So as we look out on all these backfields right here at this amazing facility, the yes. guys that are going to go to Hillsborough are being told the same things as the guys going to Mobile, yes. the guys going to Reno, and the, and the big leaguers in that clubhouse. Everything is the exact same carbon copy. And when you have that 
that that uh, that continuity. Mm-hmm. So when these guys come up, then they know what to expect because they've been doing it the same way they that they've been taught. And so you know, because I always wonder. I'm like, man, St. Louis, they lose the pool holes, they don't miss a beat. Yeah. You know, these guys go. You know, the stars they go away, but they're always in the playoffs, and it, they just bring another guy up, another guy up. And they've, they've learned that way and just adding to the mix. Was it hard to establish that here in your experience? Was it hard? I don't, I don't think it was hard uh, because that's what Tony has always done. He's always yeah. been very prepared. I but mean, you, you have to organize that. You, you have to organize that, but that's, you know, he, he was when he came here, what, a year and a half ago? Yeah. Uh, so that's when he, as soon as he got here, he started doing that. And, and now, you know, I always uh, kid Dave Stewart. I said, well, one thing we do, we lead the league in meetings <laughs> because of the staff. So there's going to be meetings. You just came out of one I of those meetings. I just came out of one. Yes, yes, one of Tony's <laughs> meetings. And, you know, he's going to ask for your input. He wants you to be a part of it, and he's going to listen to you. Are we talking about players? Are we talking about methods? All of it? Everything. Yeah. Because he wants to know, you know, what, what my thinking was, you know, how we did things because – you know, when you get to the point you know it all, then you really don't know it all. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and they say if, if you're the smartest guy in the room and you got a, a boatload of people and you're the smartest guy in the room, then you need to find another room because, <laughs> <laughs> because you need to constantly keep learning. And that's what Tony is doing. But, and you bring all these guys in here. We can learn from each other. Well, man, you're a tremendous resource for this organization. You've been great with your time. I wish we had another hour to keep going, <laughs> but uh, we'll let you get you out of here. you got more meetings. Dude. I know you got more meetings. <laughs> the great Joe Carter. Joe, thanks so much. All right, thank you. A reminder, fans, we encourage you to check out the new website, which is dbacks.com slash evolution. And join the evolution. You can see exclusive content, videos of all the new uniform combinations. Join social media networks. Also at dbacks.com slash evolution, you can purchase Single-game tickets to any Diamondbacks regular season home game. And if you're tweeting about the Diamondbacks on the Twitter, as we all do, right? Yep. We encourage you to mm-hmm. use the hashtag, join the evolution. Join it. Join it. Yeah, uh, a lot of good stuff be coming out probably about the time the season starts. That uh, that team shop's going to be crowded. I see, because the stuff really hasn't come in yet, I do sporadically see some teal in here. Some of the Granky Goldie T-shirts that have been in for a while, you'll see them in the in the stands here at Salt River. Uh, those I are think all the caps items. are in. The caps are cool. Yeah. By the way, I was driving in. This is off the topic a little bit. I was driving in. I was listening to uh, the Tiger Astros spring training game today, mm-hmm. and the Tigers have a rookie. His last name is Pancake. <laughs> it's spelled P-A-N-K-A-K-E. Now that'd be a great name Pancake. for for an offensive lineman, wouldn't it? Pancake block. <laughs> Pancake. Here's the 3-2 to Pancake. <laughs> oh, he souffle that one right out of here. Probably been a few players through the history with the nickname of Pancake. He's probably, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what has the, been the best food nickname in baseball We did have a shortcake. Shortcake, yeah. <laughs> shortcake, there you go. Best food nickname. I'm trying to think. The big, uh, well, there's Kung Fu Panda, but that's not really. <laughs> no. That's still a great nickname, though. Yeah, is it? Is it? Did they call him that in Boston? They call him the panda, yeah. yeah. Probably a lot of other things, other too, things. after that first year. They don't call him late for dinner, I can tell you that. <laughs> anyway, I, I just had to throw that in. Pancake. It's <laughs> good work. Uh. Diamondbacks regular season single-game tickets are on sale now. Check out dbacks.com slash evolution. You can buy individual game tickets. You can also check out the many season ticket options. 
that the Diamondbacks have available for you. dbacks.com slash evolution, ticket info, prices, seating charts. Don't forget, we open up at home. Cubs are in. Yankees are in this Chase year. Chase Field, April 4th against the Rockies. Yeah. And uh, then we'll be off and running with what should be an exciting season. How about the Dodgers, the pitching staff, by the way? They might not have anybody left. Yeah. They said today that Ryu will not make a Cactus League start and that May was uh, too optimistic in terms of a return date for him. Yeah, it's going to so be interesting. Alex Wood the other day came up with a forearm pain. Anderson's already out, what, five, six months. Ryu's looking like at least three. McCarthy's Tommy John. He's coming back midseason. Uh, I don't know who they're going to they're gonna have. Brandon Beachy pitch. He's the answer. Scott Kazmir's velocity is down. The Dodgers' rotation right now is a, is a disaster. Well, they may go with a couple of those kids. They may be forced to. They, they still say they won't do it. Yeah. Urias yeah, and those guys, they still say they won't yeah, do they it. May have a, they may not have a choice. Yeah. Uh, Giants look like the Giants. Nothing special Scary going on over there. Scary moment for Cueto getting hit in the head. Yeah. I mean, he, that just. He looked fat to me, speaking of a food nickname. Cueto looked heavy to me. I, you I know, he's looked a little heavy the last couple of years. I think it's it's kind of the way he blouses a jersey, though, too, and the pants. Is it? I. Good I, uh, good verb there, blouses. Yeah. Uh, but I, I watched that game. I was watching it yeah. at home, and, yeah, he, he looked fat. The first thing I thought, wow, Cueto's fat. If he bounces back, he's a big addition for him. Yeah, yeah. He is. I mean, they spent the money, $130 million. I mean, what they could have had, I mean, they added two guys who were going to give them innings if they're healthy, and Cueto and Samarja. Farron, the moral compass Mike Farron keeps telling me that Samarja is going to have a great year. I, I don't see how you can well, say that with any, any kind of certainty. Well, I don't think you can, but I mean, I think he's capable. You know the guys that I'm he's pitching in an awful. Big oh, he's capable. He's capable. Yeah. There's no question no. about that. There's no question about that. The guys who might end up having sneaky good years for the Giants are the two homegrown outfielders, Mac Williamson and Jared Parker. Those guys may end up playing a lot over the course of this season. Parker was impressed. He had a three outfield. homer game last year. Parker hit the ball that A.J. Pollock robbed of a yeah. home run in center field. But Parker and Williamson have both shown some big power, and with Pagan and Pence and Span in the outfield, they're going to need some guys that they can count on. To we got to we got to get out of here. But let me ask you this, and yeah. I'll answer it too. Team that could take a tumble this year after a big year last year, and I'm going with Houston. Okay. And the reason I go with that after Keuchel, Mike Fires is number two. McCullers going to start the year on the DL. Yeah, he's got a shoulder. They got some questions in that starting. McCullers position. got a bad shoulder. Yeah, the team that could take a tumble. I'll tumble for you, as Culture Club once sang. Um, <laughs> Pretty good. I'm going to go. With that. I'm going Dodgers. I, I do not believe in that pitching staff and, and, at all. Yeah, at all. Well, it's it, and now no Seager's Seager's got a yeah. knee that he might not be ready opening day. Yeah. So they they got a lot of questions there. This I, may be the year you're right. You've been picking. This may their, be the yeah, year I'm right. Yeah, you you picked their demise <laughs> each of the last three or four years. And I l let me just say this: we're not laughing quite as much. You're not laughing at me. You're laughing near me. Um, I was 100% correct with my Nationals prediction oh, at this go. time last year, and I have still not received still any credit that? for that. <laughs> I did, actually. You know what? You did? I did. Be, be, well, not on with the microphones <laughs> on because we had, that was another conversation. Not that, not that we could <laughs> confirm. Yeah. Exactly. You were there. I don't remember that. You see? Convenient. Well, that's going to do it. On that note, I can't think of a better note on which to end the show. It's our 36th show, Season 2, Episode 11. Uh, follow us on the Twitter at D-Backs Podcast. News about upcoming guests, links to all the shows. And again, our apologies for not having a show last week, but these split squad games, frankly, are killing us. Uh, are we done, by the way, with the split squads? You have the schedule in front of you. Uh, I think we are. Well, wait a minute. Is that it? Because those uh, things are a major pain in the you-know-what. 
I would say no. They have one. No, we have uh, March 19th, that's, which is coming uh, up. That's this weekend, right? Yeah, that's uh, this week. We're doing the game here with the Rangers, right, Leo? And there's Correct. another game in Peoria. So we're doing the game uh, with the Rangers on Saturday. They play the Mariners also on Saturday. And there's another split squad on the whole on Sunday, the 27th. 27th, oh, yeah. Rockies right. in Texas. Oi. Oi, Gavalt. Those yeah. things are tough on the old podcast. Good lineup for this one tonight for the Diamondbacks. All the regulars. Oh, here it is. There. Let's see. I just got handed this. Uh, yeah, Segura, Brito. Corbin's batting left. eighth. And Granky batted eighth the other day. Yeah. Looks like he's going to do that a lot. Owings bat, you know, Owings bats ahead of Segura. You know, I, I like that. I don't mind that. I really like, and Nick has had a great spring, Nick Ahmed, but there have been games where it's Segura, Owings, middle infield. Sometimes one's at short, sometimes the other is. I'm not afraid to bat. I Nick, like that middle infield Nick combo. Ahmed leading off a ball game against the lefty. Well, he, did that, he did that last I know. year. I know. But when you, when you bat the pitcher eighth, as often as it looks like Chip will this year, the leadoff thing becomes almost a non-issue. Yeah. Yeah. So we can't get too hung up on that. Uh, looks like the Reds have a representative lineup. Jordan Pacheco playing first base, old friend Jordan Pacheco. He was a backup catcher for Tuffy last year. Yeah. Brandon Phillips is here. No Votto, no Bruce. So there you do with that. No Ted Klazuski either. With his, uh, with his <laughs> sleeves ripped off. <laughs> he would cut those off. It was great. <laughs> Guests on D-Backs podcast receive our eternal gratitude. D-Backs podcast brought to you by Beverages by Hoffman. By Martin Paints, Martin Paints at Anxious Paints, and Matzas by Strengths. For the Lord Commander of the Night's Watch, the Earl of Grantham, the Governor Greg Schulte. Hoo-yah. And the Kingslayer, Leo Bad News Gilmartin. Mm-hmm. I'm Steve Berthune. Thanks for listening to this episode, and we'll talk to you again next week. From Salt River Field to Talking Sticks. So long, everybody. This has been another edition of D-Backs Podcast. The game is over. The Diamondbacks have got to win here. Thanks for listening. It's over. Go home. We'll see you soon at Chase Field for more D-Backs Baseball.